Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to invite you to explore custom content solutions from Skilled Nursing News. In these uncertain times, it's never been more important to provide accurate and timely information to leaders in the post-acute and long-term care industry. At Skilled Nursing News, we can deliver your message directly to the decision makers, from sponsored webinars to white papers to custom Q&A features. Visit skillednursingnews.com advertising to learn more. From both a resident safety and compliance perspective, infection control will likely be the top professional concern for frontline nursing home workers and operators for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. Simply put, until a vaccine or other kind of effective treatment becomes available, preventing the spread of the virus is the only strategy operators have to keep residents safe. For Karen Hoffman, infection control has been at the heart of her career for four decades. As a key consultant for CMS and a clinical instructor at the University of North Carolina, Hoffman has worked to improve nursing homes' infection control capabilities and also served as the 2019 president of the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology. I wanted to ask Hoffman how operators can bolster infection control, so often the most common citation in any facility, as well as how she thinks CMS should evaluate its oversight of nursing homes during and after the pandemic. Here's our conversation. Karen, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Before we uh, get into the nitty-gritty questions, just want to give the opportunity to talk about your experience in infection control. I know it's extensive, but just want to give the audience a sense of where you're coming from for this conversation. Sure. So I'm in my fourth decade of working in infection prevention, and I had the opportunity to work as a consultant in the State Program of Infection Control and Epidemiology housed at the University of North Carolina for the better part of my career for 24 years, where I provided assistance and consultation and education to hospitals, nursing homes, home health, and uh, even doctor's office practices. Most recently, for the past 10 years, I've been a consultant to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in their work with surveyors going into facilities to assess for infection control practices. So uh, I think it's safe to say you're an expert on this topic. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because there really is no more important topic, I think, right now in terms of the skilled nursing, nursing facility, long-term care industry, especially right now as we go forward into this kind of next phase of COVID-19. But before we get there, I wanted to get your opinion on and hear about your experience with the idea of infection control. It seems to be in nursing homes specifically in long-term care. It seems to be a problem that everyone agrees is a persistent and sort of endemic challenge for operators in the space, for caregivers in the space. Everyone says it's difficult and everyone has kind of different opinion on why that is. You know, resident advocates say it's because the fines and the enforcement isn't strict enough. Operators say that it's difficult and, you know, given the intimate nature of the caregiving. So I guess the first question that I would have would be, why is it so hard to prevent infections in nursing homes? And what are the biggest problems that kind of led us to where we are today? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have in nursing homes the most fragile uh, patients, patients that would have been in hospitalized care a decade or two ago. My background before infection prevention was actually in the ICU. And it's really amazing how critically or seriously ill a lot of these residents in nursing homes are for they have central lines, they have ventilators, they just have a lot of things that require really intensive amount of work and just put them at serious risk of infection. And then the other thing that happens is as these people come through the healthcare system over and over again, they go to hospitals, they go back to nursing homes, 
they often pick up multi-drug resistant organisms. So before COVID, the problem that we were really looking at was the multi-drug resistant organism problem. And recent studies have shown that as many as half of all nursing home residents have a multi-drug resistant organism, you know, on their skin or in their mucous membranes like their nose, that when they, you know, get to a vulnerable stage, they might catch a cold or they might get a wound, that that turns into a major infection. And so it's just very difficult for the staff in terms of their staffing levels to really be able to keep up with all the basic infection control practices that we know are most important, and that is the time to take hand hygiene between residents, the time to wear appropriate PPE, and then just the fact that people live in two-bed rooms uh, for long periods of time just give it more opportunity with shared dining and shared, you know, residential experiences to share those multi-drug resistant organisms between themselves. So it really takes a dedicated person looking at these issues and then having the authority to do something about it that can actually kind of break this cycle that we see in long-term care. Yeah. And so with your work, you know, as a consultant for CMS and, you know, really having a voice in how they enforce and the standards that they set, in your opinion, what are the best strategies, you know, the levers that both the government and individual operators can pull within their facilities to improve these things and really get the kind of high level care and the attention that they need? You know, the critics of the nursing home industry will say, well, the fines aren't low enough and there's not enough, you know, stick, so to speak. Obviously, we know funding for nursing homes and especially ones that specialize in long-term care is very precarious. From your view, you know, what do you think the government should do? And then what do you think should be on the operators? You know, how, how can those two sides work together to improve care as opposed to kind of each side blaming the other? Sure. That's a great question. And we've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> so we actually did a pilot study with CMS initiating work with the quality improvement organizations to look at just how we could maybe make a change for improvement. And so, you know, with the nursing homes, we actually created an infection control worksheet. And that worksheet had about 40 pages of the key things that could prevent residents from getting an infection. And we piloted that in 40 nursing homes along with 40 hospitals to see if they could, with assistance, you know, actually implement and improve these care measures. And in less than a year's time, with just minimal interaction of of some phone calls and assistance from the quality improvement organizations, which are funded by CMS, that they were able to make significant improvements. So sometimes we see that with our Association for Prevention and Infection Control chapters working in their own state. We'll try to have that assistance provided, you know, programs through the QIOs. It's just, you know, it takes additional outside expertise. And then working with someone in the facility we find is critical who is designated to do infection prevention that can answer these questions ongoing and keep the focus on infection prevention and control. Because like everything in healthcare, there's just so many people pulling in so many directions that sometimes infection control gets lost in that. Yeah, I mean, we hear, you know, I hear all the time and it's interesting seeing kind of the general media pick up on it because as someone who covers the industry, I'm obviously accustomed to the fact that, you know, infection control citations are very common and they can be very challenging. But it's interesting now, you know, in this COVID world, 
there's even less room for error, so to speak. You know, with the flu, obviously the flu can devastate a long-term care facility, but you do have certain weapons against it. And, you know, you don't, certainly do not have any <laughs> effective weapon against COVID-19 right now. Yes, no one is immune to COVID in, in the world's population. So that's uh, the biggest issue. And then, you know, it is a respiratory spread organism. So that makes it easy to move around from person to person, particularly in any congregate setting like a nursing home or, you know, even schools and prisons and, you know, industry like work plants, like the meat processing plants. You know, anywhere we get people so close together, they can share those respiratory droplets. We're, we're having problems, which really brings us back to basic infection control practices we know work being instituted in each of these settings. Well, let's say, you know, I'm running a nursing facility or I'm running a chain of nursing facilities. Most of our audience are kind of executive level people who, you know, work in the healthcare industry. What are some of the strategies that I really need to focus on, especially now? You know, one of the things that concerns me personally is the fact that we're opening up a lot of economies in a lot of states. We're seeing spikes in places that didn't really have spikes before. And so what are some of the things, you know, I feel broadly, the most part has been, let's just try to get it contained. If it, Let's keep it out of the building and let's try to keep it contained if it's in the building. But how should my mentality change as we kind of move into this phase where we're just kind of accepting that it's going to be out and about and people are going to go back to their daily lives and the caregivers and the vendors, you know, who are coming into a facility may not be practicing social distancing or may not be locking themselves down as they had over the first three months of this crisis. Right. Well, this is really where having an IP in the long-term care facility that's dedicated is essential. It's actually recommended by the CDC at this time with the COVID outbreak to have a designated infection preventionist if you don't already have one in your facility, because they can really bring, you know, that, that high-level overview of what needs to be done. For example, do you have hands, alcohol-based hand rub, you know, outside of each door and inside of each room? available. That's a basic work practice that, you know, we can institute that can help compliance with hand hygiene, which we know is one of the major things that prevents not only COVID, but also every other kind of infection control issue we have with multi-drug resistant organisms and, and foodborne pathogens and noroviruses, which is we're coming into that season as well. And so, you know, a simple thing like that. And that is something that we've been encouraging nursing homes to implement for a long time, and it's just been difficult for them to do. So simple work practices, something that a on-site person can evaluate, the use of PPE being put on and taken off correctly is also problematic. If you don't have somebody there that can train and monitor for competency and compliance, ongoing, doing audits for use and giving feedback when they see things go wrong. So that's why that's so important. And then you've got somebody who can actually work with the communicable disease or emergency preparedness or the resources that you have in your state to stay up to date because, you know, this is a very evolving outbreak we're dealing with right now. And so uh, recommendations are, are changing. We've been seeing minor changes almost day to day or week to week that, you know, help us uh, do a better job. And so you really need somebody that's totally focused on, on that aspect. 
Yeah, do you think that's going to inform moving forward? I feel like I haven't seen a ton about this, but I know the um, under the requirements of participation, there was a rule about the IP position that was sort of amended and then not enforced. Do you think this is an area that CMS is going to focus on going forward and maybe rethink that decision? If I recall correctly, the amendment to the rule was that they didn't actually need to have a full-time person on staff and that person could kind of serve as the IP for multiple facilities. Do you think that's going to inform CMS's enforcement and decision around that going forward? Well, I can't really say how that decision's going to end up, but what's happened up till now is that they did publish in 2016 new regulations that required all these nursing skilled nursing facilities to have a trained IP in place by November of 2019, and it could have been a full-time or a part-time position. And the change that occurred was that they changed the language a little bit to make it more nebulous to say that they have an IP for a sufficient amount of time which I think would be difficult for surveyors and facilities to know exactly what that means, what is the sufficient amount of time, as opposed to requiring them to work part-time. So, you know, how much time do they really need to spend in their nursing homes to accomplish uh, the best infection control practices that they should be doing? You mentioned surveyors, and I wanted to ask that, too. There's been a lot of reports about how, you know, obviously CMS is focusing on infection control surveys. They're trying to get a bunch of those targeted surveys out. And there has been some criticism in the media about how they haven't really been able to do as many as I think CMS had intended by this point. What are some of the challenges around surveying, and how do you think the survey process should change as we go forward, both in terms of how they're conducted, how often they're conducted, and and the things that surveyors are looking for? Because this is something that I think we're we're going to be dealing with, obviously, for a long time. Yeah, I think this outbreak has shown that we really need to make more proactive emphasis on infection control. We need to spend more time assessing it. The surveyors are challenged with having many, many things to look at when they come into a facility, of which infection control is just one of them. I will say that it is the most frequently cited or the second most frequently of all the different regulations that they look at, but it's cited at a pretty low level. So it gets the attention of administrators and nursing home operators when you tend to get the higher level citations that can actually result in fines of substantial amounts. So I'm not saying they should be fining at substantial amounts across the, you know, across the board as they come in, but we need to figure a better way of motivating nursing homes to implement things like putting up hand hygiene dispensers. And, you know, there actually needs to be more work together between the owners, operators, the um, associations representing them, and the recommendations being from CMS and from CDC so that we're all on the same page, uh, particularly around simple things like alcohol-based hand rub dispensers where they can and can't go. Uh, cleaning and disinfecting agents has also been a problem. We know that, you know, when you live in a house with your family members, how easy it is to share colds. Well, it's kind of the same thing in nursing homes because they'll share the same recreation, the same communal dining rooms. Uh, they go up and down the hallways and use the hand rails. So the cleaning strategy uh, with shared equipment that goes from room to room, they really need to make more emphasis on that and get kind of better agreement on what is and isn't acceptable. And then across the country that we get accept, you know, agreement on practices because there is from state to state agencies, differences in how they interpret the regulations and the interpretive guidance, which has also been difficult for facilities to know what to do. 
Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that the you know the immediate Jeopardy citations they get you know more attention, but as we're seeing with something like COVID, you know a relatively quote unquote low level infection control violation could have a very immediate cascading effect, and it's it's interesting to see how something that was you know in normal times would be classified as kind of a low level issue can very rapidly accelerate with something like this. Right. Well, the mortality is very high, and that tends to get the attention of surveyors when, you know, they key in on anything that causes serious harm. That's what they're supposed to do. So uh, COVID definitely causes serious harm. It has a high mortality, morbidity, and they tend to, you know, focus their attention when they see those kind of things reported. Yeah. Uh, where do you think, you know, as we move forward, and I'm not saying, you know, right now, but maybe over the next couple of years, I think one of the things you hit out there when you talk about communal spaces, sharing, I think, and you mentioned earlier, the private, the semi-private rooms, I think we're learning that a lot of the design for nursing homes is really outdated. Uh, there hasn't been a ton of investment in new really new facilities, you know, new construction of facilities that have the kind of features that we all know help prevent infections, like private rooms and, you know, antimicrobial surfaces and things like that. What are some of the top things that you would want to see in terms of design and how that would change moving forward as we kind of try to apply lessons that we learned here to the future of long-term care? Well, that is a very big question. I, I can tell you the, the most single most important thing I would do if I could design a nursing home besides obviously making them single rooms, which, you know, would help decrease is the bathroom situation, shared showers, shared bathroom facilities. A lot of the older facilities, there may be only one showering room. And so everybody has to be brought to that one shower or bathing room. And you can imagine the risk of something warm and moist continually where people are being bathed, the risk of cross-transmission and the importance of cleaning and disinfection again. So, and then just, you know, shared semi-private or quad rooms where they have to share a bathroom in between. So now we've got four residents who have to share one bathroom. And so if one person is ill with something that's communicable, particularly if it's communicable through stool, that, you know, the level of contamination and cleaning in between is, is really would be difficult to maintain. So that's what I would primarily focus on if I could control the world. <laughs> yeah. And if you could control the world and if you could, you know, if you could help rewrite some of the infection control requirements and just the relationship between CMS regulatory agencies and the facilities, how would you do that? I think you touched on it earlier about having a little more collaboration, but if you could kind of redraw this all up from scratch, what are the areas that you would focus on? Well, I think that they need to know exactly what we expect of them in a consistent way. So I think the infection control worksheets, which are now available on our website, have been recently updated. And by our website, I mean the CMS website, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicaid website, has an infection control worksheet that was updated to the current regulations. That is a great start. We've seen this with dialysis. We've seen this with hospitals and ambulatory care centers. So in 2009 was the first infection control worksheets put out by CMS with the help of CDC. And after they had some major outbreaks, and that really was cool that we did it for hospitals. And they have been able to be within 85, 90% plus compliance with these key measures, really from the CDC guidelines. And then dialysis, we were able to see improvements significant improvements there. So, you know, I think that we need to 
focus on what we've seen be successful in other settings and uh, work using that moving forward. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end off. It was really great speaking with you and getting that background. It's such an important topic right now. And uh, also just thanks for all the work that you've done uh, supporting nursing homes during this time and, and the history. We really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.